Hello and welcome to your review for the 8th of November and uh, just a peek behind the curtains, the document that uh, Christian sent me before said the 7th of September on it, so wow. that was my birthday, so maybe it was just going for that kind of uh, deep take, I don't know, I don't know, but I'm joined by our no- Norwegian friend, my Norwegian friend, your Norwegian friend, everybody's Norwegian friend, it is Christian Wolf, how are you Christian? I'm delighted. To be back on with you, even though you made it a bit weird, but the most that's why I like about you, Graham. You make things a bit weird. Let's make it even a bit weirder. This, this uh, another peek behind the curtain. It's just the two of us here. Usually, we have a producer who keeps, you know, haggling us, saying, "Oh, hurry up, hurry up!" You've talked one hour forty-five minutes about Kilmarnock's rest defense, and I was like, "Yes." So, and it's like, "Hurry up!" And but it's just the two of us, and we're going to we- run for four hours tonight. <laughs> exactly. So by the time you hear this, probably be Wednesday. So yeah. So I, I am your host, Graham McKay, and I am, as Christian said, your producer slash seducer tonight. So oh, it's it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's weird already. Christian's so, got a bit of a, a stubble, so that, that's already getting me excited. It's yeah. a lot of peaks behind the curtain here now. Yeah, yeah. I'm also wearing quite a woolen sweater. So very Nordic looking. I've gone into the, it's, I mean, it's late autumn, early winter since. So yeah, that's moving into my rugged, slightly unwashed Nordic face. I, I go through. Do you, so, do so. you go to proper, like, uh, like proper lumberjack, cushioned lumberjack shirt at any time? No, that, that's a bit too, too cosplay, really, to be honest. Uh, I, I think it, to be proper Norwegian, you, you need what in Norway we call super underwear. Which is not a superhero thing. It's just literally thermal underwear, but it's in in what we call it super super underwear. So I think I think that's the height you, of the richness. Do you wear it outside your trousers like Superman would? Um, just if, and yeah, I mean, if I did that in if I did that in air, nobody would notice. But no, it's it's it's, it's like I, we go back home in the winter and you go outside, you know, you out skiing. Of course, you do. You go to the shop, you go skiing. And, but then you, so you don't wear it, like, you, you, back, you take your ski clothes off. I don't know where I'm going with this. You take your skiing clothes off. And then instead of putting, like, uh, you know, a tracksuit on or PJ, sit, you sit in your super underwear. It's, it's nice and cozy, you know? I, I, so, do, I, admit, yeah. I do want super underwear now. Um, I don't, I, I, I'm going to get super underwear. Did I just Google super underwear and it'll come up? Yes, Google Super Underwear. Let's see what comes up. It's safe so, so uh but yeah, I commonly known as thermal underwear in uh Britain. But you know. So have you did you get up to anything this weekend? Anything interesting? I I, I went to watch a football game. Tell you what. The Glasgow Celtic? Yeah, I didn't know. I did not actually watch the Glasgow Celtic. I watched the Glasgow Celtic uh last night, actually, <laughs> uh on TV. I went to see uh with uh I, I have friends, some friends from uh in air and they go to see a United craft. So I went to see a top of the top of the table clash, a United Green at Morton. And let me tell me, that was not great. It was not a good game of football at all. Um you, you get friends but, in low places, it seems. <laughs> Well, top of the league in championship and top of the league in the Premier League. That's, uh, you know, Premier League, Premiership even. Um, so, yeah, so that, that was good. But I had a, had a few pints before the game. So uh, it made the game better. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. It was uh, the Bock Beer Anstick here <laughs> in, my, in my village. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's... Uh, I was going to say, I'm good, good tight there, but what did you call it? 
the Bock beer and stick. It's the, the one time of the season where the brew Bock beer, which is a kind of a stronger, stronger beer. And uh, when they brew it, they have a big kind of like night for everyone in the village. And uh, I went over and it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. There was a very high percentage, had a few beers, uh, enjoyed it in a kind of villagey music getting played like 99 Red Bull or Lift Balloons. And uh, yeah, it was one, one uh, 50 year old woman um, stopped to kind of pat haggis. And she was quite drunk, and when she turned to walk away, she fell over her own legs and went face first nice. into a metal fence. Wow. Uh, and I'm talking about not even putting her hands up to block it. She just went face first into the fence. Did you help her? Did you laugh? Did you? Let's just let's just say I helped her. Okay. Right, let's let's move swiftly on. We're going to be we're going to be doing a deep dive. Uh, I don't think that's copyrighted anymore, is it? Deep dive. That's <laughs> No, we can do whatever we, we can say whatever we want about the people who were on the deep dive. We can we can do whatever we want, really. So they were they were wrongings wrongings <sighs> to a, to a woman, especially that Frankie. Oh, but, right. so but we we did a deep dive into the Dundee United match. Um, there's a lot of stuff here about David Turnbull. I'm going to say some of it is <laughs> negative. I'm not. I don't want. To, I don't want to give too much away at the moment. But there's a lot in David Turnbull. And then we're just going to look at some relevant news stories for Celtic and the European uh, draws in a bit of detail towards the end if we've got time, because we need to keep this under 90 minutes or Gal will appear out of nowhere and destroy us. Say say gig pressing three times in the mirror and Gal appears behind you. That's... That would be terrifying, to be honest. No, no offence, girl. But uh, we're going to save... So usually we do some kind of European world football stories, but we're going to save those up, uh, things like the Liverpool being sold, etc. And we will have a deep dive into those during the, the kind of uh, winter break, so to speak, the World Cup break. And of course, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of... I'm sure this World Cup will go off, go off smoothly and there'll yeah, be nothing be to talk about. It'll be fine. fine. So we'll maybe not have much to talk about from that point of view, but I'm sure it'll be fine. But Christian, where do you want to start with Dundee United, the Arabs from Tanadice? Don't, don't know where I'm going with that. Uh, I don't know either, so I'll take over. So yeah, um, before we came on, you were like, what, there's no Real Madrid? It's like no, if you play Dundee United. Why would you talk about Real Madrid? Um, but I, I think we've done so much about the Champions League, and essentially, I think I would just be saying the same things I've had about all the games uh, in the Champions League so far on Beyond the Scoreboard and another podcast about the Real Madrid game because it was pretty much a, a microcosm uh, of it. But I do think, as you said, we got a big break coming up, so so maybe we'll do it like a wee stats retrospective of the the whole Champions League as well because <laughs> you know, Celtic fans this season cannot get enough Champions League stuff uh, at the moment but so yeah let's concentrate about Dundee United instead so headline stats you know XG 3.2 to 1.2 for Dundee United obviously the 1.2 to Dundee United there is you know, about 0.75 of that is a penalty so pretty convincing in the end uh, as you can see but Again, you mentioned keep mentioning Stephen Russell's Substack newsletter every every week now, but Stephen has that newsletter out and there's lots of fancy graphics in it, you know, in an XG timeline showing when you know uh, Celtics can, chances came throughout the game. And I think if you have a look at that as well, Graham always the penalty plays in there, but it was a, a game again where Celtic 
knowing that they started slow because they got the first goal, but the first half, you know, Celtic creates about one XG, and I think you, you really they were on about two XG until about injury time, really, when you know they had the two big chances with Kyogo and, and Abada. So while overall at the end there's a comfortable stats win um, by pretty much two XG and they win by two goals as well. Uh, it wasn't, you know, obviously I knew the result before I looked, watched the game back, but there was, I think there was quite a few issues going on, even that in the end there was a comfortable stats win. You know, for example, a shot map. I put a couple of shot maps up there in terms of Celtic. I think struggled to create, you know, what to create in terms of getting into shots in the in the middle of the box. You know, a lot of headers. You know, seven headers in from the middle of the box, and then in terms of shooting, uh, a wayward shooting as well. Seven shots from outside the box as well, and a few from you know around the box. So, but twenty three shots is quite a lot for Celtic this season. Um, you know, if that doesn't the hips game was the most shots, decent XG, but digging kind of through the stats, possession stats, I think the game kind of comes into a pattern of games we've seen similar games before. So there's a few stats things that kind of popped out to me. One was, this is the game Celtic has had the most passes this season. The second most was Dundee United away. It's the game where they had the ball most in terms of physical time on the ball, in possession of the ball, and over 38 minutes. Again, Dundee United away was the second highest. And they also the game Celtic had the second longest possession on average. You know, their possession won on average the second longest this season. Every time they had the ball, Aberdeen at home was the longest. So... And then in terms of, if you look at kind of what we call the, the territory stats, this was the game this season Celtics had the most entries into the opposition's half. So to get into the opposition's half and to control the ball the most time, although it was only the third most times in terms of getting into the opposition's final third and the fourth most time in terms of getting into the box. So... It's interesting. It kind of builds up a, a picture even before you even watched it of a team, a Celtic team that has a lot of possession and they're afforded a way to get into Dundee United's half quite easily. But then it kind of gets a little, little bit more sticky in terms of, if, for example, there's, there's one stat I like to do. Well, I like to do all the stats, but one stat I like to do is if you look at how many times Celtic gets into a position's half and how the percentage of those entries into the position half leads to an entry into the final third. This is what kind of like the third lowest ratio for Celtic this season. So again, again, everything points to a, a game where Celtic has loss of possession, loss of passes, and but relative to how much possession they actually had, getting into those dangerous areas, maybe not so much. Is it, in, is it interesting to you that this is the most amount of passes along with the last time we played Dundee United, but it was two very different attempts at taking something from us from the managers? Because I think you said beforehand in the Orange Club, it was going to be very, it was not going to be similar to Jack Ross, and it was going to be very deep and kind of just trying to get 
like I, th- I think you're talking about like squares where they would be pressing us in their own own half and I, I think you said in one of the group chats before the game that you were kind of like not too happy seeing Turnbull because we would need quick passing in that kind of final third to get through and I think that was borne out for a lot of the game that we were just passing the ball in front of them and couldn't really be incisive until the last few minutes. Yeah, I think overall like like on the position stats just the one like this is the second highest pass rate Celtic have had this season so completed passes. Um, the highest one was sent Marin away, right? Classic. And the f- and the third most crosses as well in this game. So I, th- I think, as I said, it it, it kind of paints a picture, doesn't it, of a team that has lots of possession, gets into the positions half quite easily, but then from that, okay, you create twenty three shots, but a vast majority of your big chances, your XG comes right at the end, and is and also. You know, there's lots of crosses, but the pass rate is interesting in, in terms of uh, you know, pass rate in itself, really high pass rate isn't necessarily a good thing. I think having the highest percentage passes in this game and the St. Marin game kind of gives you a hint that they have been playing around. You know, they've just been safe passes. Safe passes for a lot to do. So, but you mentioned Dundee's tactical formation because it was a little bit different. I think what we saw with the nine nil is that the press was very high, and it was it's lots of space between the lines. Celtic exploited that, especially after forty minutes. So I, I haven't watched, you know, talked to Gal on the preview. I was out on Friday. It's like I watched about the Aberdeen game, the Hibs game, the Rangers game, and all those three games. Dundee United set up with one lone striker and four behind that striker and then five behind them. So I was like, okay, they're going to do this again because it's, it's been working in those games. So they're not going to go two on top in terms of at least when they sit in that block to stop Celtic play. What did Dundee United do? Put two on top. <laughs> you know, essentially that, that's what it was. And Why I think, do you think they did that? I, I t- I'm not really sure because I don't think it worked well. Like, I, 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 I think... It was pretty wasted for me because those front two wasn't particularly overly aggressive. They sat a bit deeper, which kind of helps because there's not then as much space between the front two and the midfield three and then the five. But overall, I, like, I a, give you a couple of screenshots in terms of when Celtic attacked, and especially in like in the first five ten minutes, those front two were quite easily passed. And the tree behind them was easily pulled over. If Celtic kind of attacked down the right, you have a couple of screenshots here. Like the two strikers are in the middle. Celtic are already about, you know, in front of them. They're behind them already. Um, and it's three Celtic, uh, three Dundee United Central and Philos been pulled all the way over. So, and because Dundee United's back five was pretty much a back five, it's a back five in a line, it was huge spaces. In between, you know, beside that midfield tree, behind the strikers, that I think Celtic at the start exploited quite well. And it's, you know, uh, show you one other screen print screenshot in terms of a few seconds before the first goal comes, where again, don't you notice front two? Eh, they're just kind of the other side of the pitch. And they basically just take one man out of the equation, I think. And the, the midfield tree, Huge gap down, 
to the back five again. And what happens is, you know, the Celtic play a bit down the right, comes a crossing, the ball comes out. I think because a lot to do with Dundee United's formation is kind of like a bit all over the place. Celtic win the ball back easily. Goes to Rihatati, goes out to Jota, and that's one nil. So I think at the start, I was like, obviously I knew the result, but I was like, you know, this is exactly what you wanted from Dundee United. It's not not that gung ho, that is a really high press, but you still put those two uh, strikers in the front press. They didn't, they didn't justify having them there in terms of putting two players there, and then that means this tree in the midfield line, which. You know, it's much easier to stretch them to pull them over than if there was four in there. Like is that not, four. Is there so, not good like theory behind that? Because that's basically what St. Mun did with the two strikers at, at Love Street, where they pinned us back. Is it just a case of maybe they just didn't fulfill the roles that the manager was expecting them to do? I think so because the, the St. Mary one was a lot. Maybe it's a lot to do with the pitch as well, but I think that the midfield tree was a lot more disciplined in terms of staying very narrow together, but also very little space to the front two. And the front two did a proper job. Like, they actually did a proper job there. So, And I t- also think the St. Mary wingbacks was, you know, they had slight license to jump up a bit as well. So there wasn't that much space uh, in between all of them. So instead of just the midfield tree staying a tree, St. Mary's midfield often became a four because either the striker dropped down or the full of the wing backs dropped up. So in theory, yes, but again, I don't think Don United executed it particularly well. But what they did do was it was lower and it was you know it wasn't as open as in the away game. And with that, obviously, quite naturally you're more able to restrict space. But I still think there was opportunities for Celtic there to do more than what they actually did. So that kind of that kind of poses a question. Like if if you see this as something that would be ideal for us to be playing against and they weren't doing it in a very disciplined way, why were we so kind of tippy tappy when it came to like we were getting chance we weren't getting chances per se, but we were getting shots off and we were getting crosses in. Was it surely we weren't just restricted by the fact they had five at the back? Because if they're not if their midfield was all over the place in the front two weren't doing much. I can't think that we were held at arm's length just because of your five at the back. So what stopped us? So I I think, the, I mean, and it's not like this is a terrible game by Celtic, but I think there is obviously a game where you, okay, there's a decent amount of chances created, but a lot of shots from far, from the sides, lots of headers from crosses and so on. So there was an element of something not quite working. And Celtics play, and I, I thought at times, break it down. It's the build up was too slow, not incisive enough. There wasn't enough movement in terms of trying to pull that Dundee United formation out. I think it just made it a little bit too easy for Dundee United to crowd Celtic out um, on the sides, and there wasn't much kind of trying to progress the ball through the middle. So I think. <laughs> I guess at this point, you kind of look at who's the players in there. And I always try to say this in terms of when you do analysis, one of the things you really need to, one of the things you kind of indirectly accuse, you know, I guess others, uh, not our analysts, uh, like it's, you know, you somebody put your nose down as people going, oh, you know, people just got biases about players. 
you know, you know, they need to watch the, you know, they need to watch the game, you know, watch it again, you know, and don't take these preconceived ideas about players and just fit them into any sort of narrative that you have. But at the same time, that, that applies just as much to me. You know, we all have our preconceived narratives. We all have, have our biases against players. So when you try to kind of break these things down, you, you have to try and challenge yourself, I guess, in terms of, okay, I have a preconceived notion about this player, but I'm going to try and sit down and watch the game as, um, in terms of, I, I need to almost have a clean slate when I start watching the game again. And that's you can never do that properly, but you have to be aware of that and try to put that in. So, on this game, you know, I knew the results. I knew there had been some issues. I knew David Turnbull was starting, and I'm not a big fan of David Turnbull. But I was like, okay, I'm gonna go sit down. I'm gonna watch, see what happens, and I'm gonna try and challenge myself to not not just to blame David Turnbull. And how many pages have I sent you of David Turnbull screenshots where I blame David Turnbull for this? Seven. Yeah, eight. Narrator's voice. He blamed David Turnbull. <laughs> so this is not. This is not solely David Turnbull's fault. If all. you're if you're talking about there wasn't but, enough movement up front to pull defenses, is that, is that on Gigi as well? I mean, if we're going to we're going to start from blame about, can we bring Gigi in? No, it's, it's one of those games when I sat back and I, I I didn't notice Gigi so much, and so I didn't notice you know specifically anything he did wrong. I thought. I thought Fotichi was okay to be honest. Maybe if you sit and watch him a whole game again, maybe you can pick something up. But you, you can pick something up with all players. Mm. They're not doing correctly. But my my in thing with David Turnbull was it's not it wasn't just David Turnbull. It's the right hand side. And I think when you talk about David Turnbull, and we'll come to Tony Ralston a little bit later as well. But I think there was issues with Celtic and especially on the right-hand side. And my issues with David Turnbull was, was threefold. It was, he again, as we said before, I don't think he's aggressive enough in making those runs in between the fullback and the centre-back. Um, that Hatata does, that, you know, Matt O'Reilly does. And he's, and I think a big reason for that is he's so attracted to the ball, especially in the build-up. He he goes towards the ball. If like CCV brings the ball up or Matt O'Reilly brings the ball, David Turnbull doesn't try to. It's not like you should never give a a player an option, but you should also get too close to them and then occupy their space instead of kind of dropping into pockets, making runs, or maybe just sometimes standing still. He's got such an. He seeks the ball a lot. And the third thing he, I think he does doesn't do enough that the other midfielders do. He doesn't come over and hit when the ball's down the left hand side. He yeah, he'll wander into the middle a bit. But again, he's he's waiting for the ball to come close to him and he's the ball to come to him. And he, it's he's definitely not making those kind of half space runs between the fullback and centre back on his own side. He's definitely not making them on the other side. So it's those kind of three things. And what I think so Santius lots of example of how this kind of impacts Celtics play. Especially after you know the, the equalizer, and you, you very often get the same pattern where it's Celtic's left hand side, Hatate, Bernabai, obviously in the first half, and Jota. It's the three of them, you know, interplaying, moving around, changing positions. But in terms of how Dundee United set up in in this way, obviously they have the wing back on the winger, they have the right handed. Uh, right-sided centre-back 
and then they have two of their central midfielders push up and push out to that wing. So especially what happens in the first half, whenever the ball goes out to the left, the United's got this square of four players against three Celtic players. And you can still kind of, it's not that Celtic don't create anything, but what I've shown in a couple of screenshots is when this happens, David Turnbull stands but in the middle of the pitch and he waits for the ball to come around. And there's always that space between, in this case, the right-handed centre-back and the middle centre-back. Always opens up. David Turnbull doesn't hardly ever comes across and joins the Celtic tree to kind of make the four, to kind of pull somebody else out, to kind of create a bit of movement, to get a other passing option. So it becomes difficult for those three even how, how quality are they are in Hatata and Jota and, and Burnaby. And they, they did create some things, but again, with David Turnbull, he becomes too static, right? Mm-hmm. He's in the middle. So, so that that is kind of the first one with me. But then he, he's he got this love of coming towards the ball. So there's one instance here where that happens on the left-hand side, I'll show you here. Then the ball gets played over and back to Jens, back to CCV. And in, instead of Turnbull kind of runs over and he's kind of in the line with the Dundee United midfield tree. And he's got the two strikers in front of him. CCV is coming at the ball. But instead of trying maybe David Turnbull to fall behind the midfield line and kind of find a pocket, he moves towards CCV. Now, CCV is not pressured at all by the front two strikers. But David Turnbull, instead of kind of making a run, staying in a pocket, staying deep, he comes towards CCV. He goes, he's, he's between the lines, he's between the forward line and the midfield line. But he moves in front of the Dundee United forward line to to meet the ball, to, to get the ball. It's a passing option that is not needed at all. And it's, it's that kind of issue. And not, only do, not only does it kind of uh, take away... A passing option, but the but the also like puts David Turnbull instantly in danger because he's right next to a midfielder when he receives the ball, and he's left a big area of space behind him where he could have been getting a pass directly into. Yeah, he, he comes. To, he wants to come and meet the ball and do a bounce ball when there's no need for that. And I showed you another example that pretty much the same thing happens again. You know, he's he's he starts behind the forward line. He's in the same line as the Dundee United tree. So, you know, find a space, find a pocket, go behind them, drop behind. But he comes, it's, it's like the opposite of breaking lines. It's like he's restoring a line. He's jumping in front of the forward line to give a passing option. What, he moves what, what, so close to Matt O'Reilly as well that it makes it obsolete. Like, there's no point in having two passing options so close to each other. Yeah, and CCV don't need a passing option. CCV ends, on the second example, ends up with CCV passing him a ball sideways five yards to David Turnbull. When he just could have, David Turnbull could have just stayed further up, tried to run, makes him interesting. So it's that kind of whole thing that David Turnbull seeks the ball. He doesn't make the runs, he seeks the ball. And he, and, and that's, and we'll come back to some of the stats later, but I think, again, it's, it's a sense of, it's kind of like playing with five with somebody who always is the best technical player, so he always wants the ball. He'll follow you around just to get the ball. And he's like, no, just, 
go somewhere else. <laughs> and it, 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 but anyway, so just just to clarify, yeah. we're we're not. This is not a, a David Turnbull hit job. We are looking at the reasons why we struggled to make many chances in the first 60, 70, 80 minutes of this game. And it's the, these are the reasons that you've come up with based on watching the game back. So, Well, well that's the thing. It's, it's, and that's why I kind of want to start with that caveat at the start in terms of... I, I don't want David Turnbull to have a, have a bad game. I don't want him to influence Celtic's play here. But if you're going to sit down and analyse the game and say, okay, why didn't Celtic create the amount of chances? Why were they not out of sight? On, and why within position with Dundee United can equalise a minute before... Full time, okay. You can say things like, "Oh, the, the, the passing is too slow. It's not, you know, the movement isn't, you know, good enough." And that's all true, but you do have to kind of evidence it. And I guess that's what we're trying to do. And, and the examples we have usually involve David Turnbull. And there's it's not only David Turnbull to be fair, because I think on the right hand side you have a person who's in Tony Ralston who's kind of similar as well. I, I think Tony Ralston's his movement he's occasionally has really good movement between the fullback and the centre back and he does make those runs. But I think he was very poor on the ball today, uh yesterday, <laughs> sadly even. <laughs> and again, very slow on the ball in terms of carrying it, in terms of finding a safe pass, in terms of so again that, that, that moving those two together. Yeah. That right handed triangle never played Together, I would assume, uh, Turnbull, Ralston and Haxabanovich. Do you think that had a big influence on Ralston having a... I mean, Ralston, we, we know that he's not a world beater, but I think this was a below average game for Ralston uh, at the weekend. Do you think that kind of triangle not playing together and the fact that Turnbull is just not doing the role as well as he should be had a big influence on Ralston's game? I mean, I think it was... It was Callum, wasn't it? It was kind of when he saw the lineup mentioned that. Well, that's Tony Ralston's fifth league game in the, in, a, in a row. He's starting. And I was like, surely not. But it is. And in the sixth league game he started was somewhere in a way. So I had I went back and have a look at who, who's in the, who's in that triangle with Tony Ralston in the six league games he started. So against Marin is Aaron Moy and Leo Labada on the right hand side, and also David Turnbull played on the left hand side. That one. Against St. Johnston away, it's Taksibanovic and Abada. Against Hibsa home, it's Aaron Moy and James Forrest. Against Hodge away, it's Aaron Moy and James Forrest. Livingston away, it's Aaron Moy and James Forrest. And then yesterday, it's, it's David Turbill and, and Haxabanovich. So in the sense of, okay, Celtic win five of those games, but they lose against Samarin. They have a last-minute winner against St. Johnston, a last-minute winner against Dundee United, a very late winner against Hearts. Okay, the, the blow Hibernian uh, away, and then Livingston as well is, is, is a comprehensive win in the end. But I, I think that comes kind of back to rotation as well because Aaron Moy, David Turnbull, to some degree, also James Forrest and Leo Labada, isn't the most movement wise the best players, right? In terms of, and also in terms of incisive passing, in terms of quick progression up the pitch. That's not their strengths, is it? So I, I, th- I think, and so this game specifically having Tony Ralston there as well, and that right-hand side, I think has been an issue in those games. And I think that's also when there has been issues have come from that right-hand side as well. So yeah, that's, okay, Davis Turnbull's first one on the right-hand side, but I don't think having Ralston 
and Turnbull and Moy and Forsen and about a certain type of player down the right hand side has been great for Celtic in those games. You, so this was something that kind of annoyed me at the weekend, and uh, I do admit that it probably has a Celtic da tendency coming through, and I'm just a bit frustrated with the massive amount of rotating. And I think it was mentioned, I think Alan mentioned it on the agenda about how it kind of come from an old school situation where you ran the 11 players into the ground. Why can't Juranovic, when we regard him as one of our best players, why can't he start back-to-back games? I mean, I guess the answer you get when he's kind of brought up to Ange he's always stressed that it is a physical demanding style and he doesn't want to have the same type of injuries as he did last season. So I think that's the, the, the physical, you know, reasons for it. But it did surprise me that Preston started the last five league games. I mean, that's, you know, he's probably right, six starts in the league, I think. So I presume your runners have something else the same. So that's, for for as again as we said before, for a system that's so reliant on that fullback position, that, that that's a lot of rotation, and it is probably one of the physically most demanding. But I also go, I, I don't know what it is. I, I think it's too much in terms of then adding having Matt O'Reilly in the six, and then your right-sided central midfielder, unless it's Hexabana, which is also not very, you know, fast. <laughs> What a better word in terms of they have qualities, but it's 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 a different proposition having like Hatate or Spanish beside you in terms of that movement. So I I think the rotation has been for my liking too much in terms of I think that's a lot to do with the reason why the system in certain games haven't really worked and is Celtic has almost come unstuck and have come unstuck sometimes. But then you go like the, the other side of that is that you know, the injuries have been fairly good, especially in the fullback position and the central midfield positions. Uh, McGregor aside, but that's more, you know, a freak thing. But so hopefully you didn't go at the other side of the World Cup when there is you know, a lot less games now. You won't see that and you can do that because you have rested. Do you, do you think that is playing in Angie's mind, the World Cup? The fact that he knows Juranovic with Croatia is probably going to get pretty far. It's just that for me, it feels like when Juranovic has been called upon to play in the Champions League, he has, he's looked a bit rusty to me. And it feels to me, it, it may be because he's not getting a bit of momentum when it comes to playing in a week-to-week basis. Yeah. I mean, I think Joseph Juranovic's bad form is, is vastly exaggerated, to be honest. I think a lot of that is people saying, oh, he's not as good as last season. And look at the drop-off for us. I think... He was probably given some of his performances last season were also a little bit sloppy, but they weren't really pointed out that much. Whereas this season, everything he does slightly wrong or wrong is, is pointed out, you know. So I, I don't think he's had a huge drop off in form, but yeah, I think he's, I don't think it either helps just playing once a week and getting into that rhythm. Does that hinder a slight bit of sharpness in the Champions League? Maybe. As I said, I don't think I think there's this thing where everybody said yeah, last year your Andrews was brilliant and Craig Taylor was average, and this year it's just flipped around. Whereas for me, they were much closer last season in terms of actual performance and output, and they're pretty close this season in terms of performance and output as well. But that, that's just you, you I have think, to... it's this is the season Craig Taylor is good. Last season was the 
<laughs> they, uh, this isn't Joseph Baranich's good brass. It's I think the truth is definitely somewhere a lot more in the middle. You have to you have to remember though that anytime Celtic fans are seeing Juranovic at the moment, it is in a big Champions League match. So he's not getting the free hit of playing Dundee United at home where he can run up and down the, the wing and look good. So every time he's playing, it's against really high class opposition. Yeah, that 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 might play into it as well. But so, but yeah, because football like. The kind of narratives around different clubs and stuff, they always like ebb and flow like that. And it's kind of like b- becomes the perceived wisdom. So I think he's, I have been as sharp as he was last, uh, maybe not overall, but I still think he's had really good games in the years of Randovic and he's done really good things. And I think he's been decent in the Champions League as well. He's got a couple of two, three big moments where it's, you know, there's been a bit of a debate in terms of the goals against Leipzig and Real Madrid and Shakhtar. But I think overall he's been, he's been, he's been good. So, but does the World Cup play into his mind, play into Andrew's mind? It might do. I think World Cup is a huge thing for Josip Branovic, like absolutely massive. And, you know, he's he's only recently been like a proper starter for Croatia. To be a starter for Croatia in the World Cup for him would be enormous. So uh, is, is it on his mind? Is it something there on his mind in terms of this transfer strategy? Maybe I guess that's how narratives kind of start spinning and said, "Oh, he's too focused on the World Cup and he's too focused about transferring." Like, does that play in a bit? Maybe, but his performances overall, even with that, I think it's been good. So, I mean, I don't. The, the, Anne spoke uh, the other day about how this this idea of the World Cup being so close to the domestic games and like, one little knock, one little kind of innocuous injury can rule you out. I don't. I don't think he is protecting Joseph Juranovic. There's surely not. Surely it can't be a case of him knowing how important this would be for Juranovic and thus saying, "I'm going to rest you more than I'm resting Greg Taylor," because they're playing the same position. Well, they're playing the kind of polar opposite positions, yeah. and Taylor is definitely getting a lot more game time. And is it just because they're because Ange speaks a lot of time about listening to the sports science? Is it a case of the sports science is looking at Juranovic and saying he can't play in this, this next game, or is there something is there something else behind it? As you say, the transfer strategy. There's been rumours that um, Juranovic might be wanting to go this this window. Is it a case of Ange protecting the investment as well? Your guess is good as mine, really, Graham. I mean, it's. Yeah. I want you to say I, something that's controversial. <laughs> so. No, I, I, no, I. I don't really think so. I, I, it comes back to the fact I, I think he's been rotated a lot more than I thought he would be. But that's maybe based on what happened last season. Juranovic getting injuries last season as well. Maybe there's something in the in the sports science that says you know he's he has a certain output in training. You know he's, he's hitting. I, I think the sports science thing is is a lot about making sure you don't maybe run too much during a week and see kind of the output because apparently if you run a certain amount a certain amount of distance in a certain amount of time the probability of you getting an injury is bigger so uh, i think that might be a combination of that but overall, i come back to the fact that it's, i don't think it's been that bad <laughs> so i know it's not it's for me it's not about being that bad it's just about wanting to see him play <laughs> and like as I said I, I don't know that I've not got the minutes in front of me but I feel just from my you know feelings about the thing that Greg Taylor's played maybe a third more games than you know which a third well, more minutes do you who have, do you think who do you think have the minutes right in front of him uh, tell us let, us let us know because I mean 
Greg Taylor got injuries last season as well, and I know every every body is different, uh, but it just feels like I want to see. I, like I sat down to watch a game at the weekend and see when I saw Ralston instead of Juranovic and Gigi instead of Kyogo, I was I was disappointed. Like it, I want to see my favourite players. I want to see the best players play, and Juranovic having such little game time is just frustrating. So Juranovic has played two hundred and sixty-two minutes less than Greg Taylor. Um, so, in terms of outfield players this season, oh, this this is turning the impromptu quiz. Here we go, Graham. <laughs> Who's outfield player with the most minutes this season? Joe Hart. He's not. He's not playing outfield, mate. I know oh, he's great with sorry. his feet. I know he's great <laughs> with his feet, but he's not playing. I ignored that part. Uh, I would say Matt O'Reilly. Matt O'Reilly's third. Atate. Gre- is fifth. Ooh. Greg Taylor is second. Cameron Carter Wickers is fourth. But the person who's played the most minutes, he's uh he's a bit like you, Graham. He's he's a bit German. Oh he's he's, he's totally German, Smart Jens. He's played the most minutes this season? Smart Jens has played and that's all competitions together. Jesus. <laughs> it, it's I, I was gonna look this up the other day. But yeah, he's we need to yeah. rectify that situation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so yeah, so Joseph Ranovich has played more minutes than McGregor was the Yota plays more than Kyogo. Kyogo, he's played more than Dice Maeda. He's played more than Giacomakis. He's played more than Ambada. He's played more than Moy. <laughs> he's played a lot more than Tony Ralston as well. He's, Joseph Ranovich has got pretty much twice as many minutes as Tony Ralston this season. So, so he's very- played basically half. They've both played about the same equal of the league games, but Yaravich played every Champions League game, basically. Pretty much. Yeah, so I can quickly do the, the league minutes as well. You know, this is the things I can do with my fingers and the things oh, wow. they click on. I know. Um, so Joseph Ranovich, you are right. Joseph Ranovich has got 656 minutes in the league. Anthony Ryleson got 596. So you know, it's like a half an hour. And um, what about Greg Taylor? Yeah. Greg Taylor has played 918 minutes. See, that's and, a disparity that I'm not, I just don't get. Did you know which... Ultra players play the most in the league for Celtic this season. I'm going to go for Jens again. It's Cameron Carter Rickers. Oh, there you go. That's, there at you least go. that's a bit better. So, um, so yeah, so, so, so that's is kind it, of tough. Is it because? Is it because? Do you think that Ralston is trusted more than Burnaby at this stage? If if we'd have, if we'd have Ralston of the left, do you think we would have seen Taylor play last minutes? Yeah, I, I think. And I think the Taylor coming on yesterday as well, and there has been less rotation. Maybe that is literally a, a you know a physique thing, a stamina thing. You know, Greg Taylor's a bit younger; he's got you no, know, he's got great stamina. Maybe there's something they're saying. Look, he doesn't need rotated as much in this period, so it could be. And I think also, you know, Greg Taylor is having a really good season. You know, um, and Burnaby is uh naturally much more talented footballer than Tony Ralston, but obviously Tony Ralston has been there a season. Uh, I think Ange felt he could trust him a lot last season in terms of coming in and, and doing the things he wants to do in the system. I don't think Tony Ralston is in any shape or form in a, in a good run of form at the moment. I think he's, it's even with that, Tony Ralston is involved in really important uh, moments in each game as, as he was uh, last game as well. But he, he, I think right back's an issue this season, uh, especially when you're out of this, it's not playing. 
So, is there anything else you wanted to touch on with David Turnbull before we let him off the hook? Um, yes, there is. Not, 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 to pick, not, 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 not to pick on the guy, but yeah, it, it was the things. I think we kind of ended on the right-hand side there. I think a few of the examples when Celtic build up is that both Tony Ralston and David Turnbull, when Cameron Carter Vickers had the ball, again, they both kind of seek the ball. And there's so a couple of times where they kind of just end up what I call the same lateral line, you know, so they're all kind of in a line out wide. It's because you got Hexabanovich, the winger is supposed to stay wide, but very often you got David Turnbull standing behind Tony Ralston. And anyway, look, so there's not kind of that movement. And then there's one situation I sent you screenshots. This happened on the right hand side. There's like David Turnbull's right behind. Tony Ralston is close to him. Hexa Banish is on the left-hand side. You know, what are you going to do out there? Then the ball goes over to Jens. And immediately, Greg Taylor sprints into a position where he receives the ball at an angle from, from Moritz Jens. Riyad had to stay in the middle and seek space. So you got one situation, the ball goes over to the right. It's, it's a bit static. They end up on the same line close to each other. Switch ball over to Jens. Boom couple of quick movements and almost non-movements from Atata, he just drops. Suddenly you, you have passing options, you have more space. There's, there's more intensity about it. So I think that's between the right and the left-hand side. Uh, happens a lot. And so Ralston Turnbull kind of axis on the right-hand side was just too slow. It was too safe. And it, it wasn't a great day for it. But what kind of happened... With the rest of the midfield, I thought was interesting because I've sent you some pass maps in terms of where David Turnbull received the ball, where Rio Hatati received the ball, and where Matt O'Reilly received the passes. Because and I haven't sent you too many screenshots of this, but if you watch this game, have a look at how often Matt O'Reilly and Rio Hatati, especially, comes on to the right hand side. And even high up into the penalty box between the wing back and the centre back and the middle centre back and, and the left centre back. They seek that space, which is kind of David Turnbull's natural space, so much more than David Turnbull. So if you do you looked at those pass maps, Graham, I like sent you them, you can't really tell who's supposed to play right central midfielder. Because from from the, those ones you can kind of tell well they've all I mean, I think Matt O'Reilly and Rio Tati's probably more active in the right half space far up towards the penalty box than David Turnbull is in terms of receiving passes for there. And if yeah. you go back and watch the game, it's because they make the runs into that area that David Turnbull doesn't make. He, as I said, he, he seeks the ball. He wants the ball deeper. He wants the ball in front of the, you know, the forward line and midfield line. Whereas Matt O'Reilly and, and Rio Tata especially seek that space again and again and again. It's, it's stark. I mean, uh, for just to kind of paint a picture here, Turnbull is mostly receiving the ball in the middle third on the right-hand side. And uh, Hatati and O'Reilly are receiving the ball higher up on that right wing, uh, the, the half space, obviously. And it's it's almost as if they are, you know, when you, you're younger and your your mum gave you a, a job to do and you did it half arse so that she would come over and say, I'll do it. That's almost as if Hatati and O'Reilly are saying, OK, I'll do it. It's 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 mad. So, so Rio Tati, we were used to him doing this in terms of making those runs on his own side, but also on the other side. Right, and he, he does it a lot here. And I said David Turnbull didn't do as much on the other side, which I think was an issue. 
But it surprised me how often Matt O'Reilly did it. And I think that's, in a way, it, okay, you, you create that overload, and that's good. And I think Celtic created by that. I think Matt O'Reilly had a good game, and he ran a lot, and he made a lot of good runs into those areas. But I've kind of put here, what does that do to Celtic's rest defense in terms of if your number six keeps making those runs beyond your central midfielders into behind you know, the defensive line? And there's a couple of screenshots where like Matt O'Reilly leaves that area. David Turnbull still just stands static in the middle behind the penalty box. He doesn't cover for David for Matt O'Reilly in those kind of runs. And I think you get away with that domestically. But it's a couple of situations if Celtic lose the ball by Matt O'Reilly having to do those runs or doing those runs by himself, it's a huge space open in the middle of Celtic's pitch. So that's what you know what we call the rest defense in terms of how you set up your players when you attack that in case play breaks down and you lose the ball high up how can you best defend the counter-attack you know the first and i think by rally doing those runs celtic were a risk if they'd lost the ball in a certain situation because as i said dundee united did keep their two front players high quite high up as well so uh, i think that's a, a consequence of that but i kind of just wanted to end on oh, a couple of things but I showed you a couple of other things where, in terms of the stats, between David Turnbull and Riyad Tata, this thing about being too safe. So in David Turnbull's three starts and domestically this season, he's got 89% pass rate. Riyad Tata domestically in his starts got 82% pass rate. So David Turnbull hits 7% more of his passes. Um, David Turnbull has lost possession of the ball on average 3.3 times per game. Riyad had to lose possession of the ball eight times on average per game. Hatate wins the ball back more, about twice as back, and he intercepts about 50% more than David Turnbull. So, But this game specifically, Turnbull has an 87% pass rate. Riyad has got 80%. Riyad Tate loses the ball t- possession 12 times. Or Insta has recorded us through this in 12. But David Turnbull loses possession three times. So you go like, if you look at just the stats there in isolation, you go, oh, David Turnbull is safe on the ball. He doesn't lose the ball as much. But I went through and looked at every single of Hatate's possession losses, as they're called. And they're almost all of them, him trying to find a pass behind, behind the defender, that almost comes off. Often after he's progressed the ball himself, it passes into the box. It's a couple of crosses. Um, it's only really one time he gets kind of caught out in possession of position's half. And you can see zero to the map where he actually lost possession. It's it's high up on the pitch. Whereas David Turnbull loses possession three times. One of them is after about 20 seconds, right? And you see his pass map as well. Is that even though the stats saying he's more secure on the ball, if you go and watch it, he's way too safe on the ball. And Rio Tati is much more. Progressive, he wants to move the ball higher up. And it's, I think, again, I think Rio Tata had an amazing game uh, for this. But that's why you just can't look at the stats again. Yeah, I mean, like, Turnbull seems to me like the old water carrier, but further forward in the pitch. You know, it's like Neil Lennon, Barry Ferguson, Didier Deschamps, just sideway passes. And that's fine. You can have a high pass percentage, but if we're not actually being incisive, then what's the point? It's just and passing it's- the buck. I know we keep going about Devin Turbul this, Devin Turbul that, but if it's every aspect of his game, I thought he had a terrible game. But even like Statsbom have like 
the amount of pressures that each player do. Like, so yeah, I just looked about that. that's horrendous. <laughs> and, and you go and you look at okay, Jordan and Haxabanovich has about the same amount of presses. Taylor and Bernabe has about the same presses combined than Tony Ralston. And if you look at where the, the you know the defensive action the presses were on the pitch, yeah, like they're quite evenly invited. You see, so there's just as much on the left hand as the right hand side. The fullbacks got the same. The wingers got the same. Matt O'Reilly's got 17, and he's centrally. That's fine. Rio Tati's got 11. David Turnbull got four pressures in the game, and so you kind of go. And it's the same with the counter pressing. You know, the pressing five seconds after Settler lose the ball. Matt O'Reilly eight times. Rio Tati seven times. David Turnbull one time. He's just and, not getting involved in the game. And, and most of the, look at, you see where the counter presses are. Most of them are on the right hand side and his space. Mm. And, and, and the, you can break this down by where each individual player's presses were as well. If you look at Matt O'Reilly's pressures, high up on the right, high up on the left. Rio Tate's ones, high up on the left, a few on high up on the right. David Turnbull's presses, all in the middle third. Yeah. Right. And there's, there's less of them. So you go, too safe on the ball, not enough movement, uh, seeking the ball too much, <laughs> it, defensively not pressing. Uh, so it's... So I, by seeking I, the ball too much, you mean running towards the passer as opposed to seeking like space, space to receive it? Yeah. So every, so I started this by saying, I don't want to be too dumb. I really want, didn't want to just, okay, I'm just going to play David Turnbull again because that fits my agenda. But everything, I'm sorry, about this game, whereas just David Turnbull was way below par. Defensively, offensively, attacking wise, and it's just had a really poor game. And it's not like there's no agenda here as well, because it's important for Celtic to have Scottish players. It's important for Europe. It's important that we have the numbers. So I would absolutely fucking love David Turnbull to be an excellent Celtic player. But a year and a half into Ange, is David Turnbull any better? as a footballer than he was under Neil Lennon. Like, can you see anything improving? Because obviously Ange gets them in every day, video analysis, looking back at the, the game, looking at what went, what went right, what went wrong. Do you see any improvement in David Turnbull whatsoever over the last 18 months? Not winning the system. No. I mean, he played a lot more in the, in the start. I think he had, it's been injuries and stuff like that. And he had a bad injury, which, which, is, which is fair. But especially after that, He's never really come back, and he's—I mean, he's—he's he's got obvious quality when he's on. Like his foot is great, but is is everything around that? And he's just—he's probably one of the players from the Anshu's probably fallen from the position he had in the team. And I think it's, it's a lot of reason why he was one of Celtic's best players in twenty twenty one. You know, it's probably the style suited him a bit more, and he had big moments in terms of shots and goals. But he's—he's he's really not a good fit, is it? So uh, I do wonder what the future holds about David Turnbull because I, I can't really see it anymore. No, and uh, we, we, we're going to we're going to move on from Dundee United yeah. to talk a few stories. It, and you no, know, I was I was just and this, as I said before, I know just going to on about David Turnbull. It's not just David Turnbull. I think there's there's issues with Celtic not being able to exploit Dundee's set up and much. I think you know. Centre backs, especially Jens on the ball, wasn't great. Um, I thought Bernabeu was okay. I think VAR has a big impact in that game again. You know, in terms of the breaking up play and so on. 
And so it's, it's not just, it's not, you know, if you put Aaron Moy in there, if you put Matt O'Reilly in the six and Apple going, uh, Matt O'Reilly in the eight and Apple going on six, it's not that necessarily mean everything's rosy and Celtic went 5 0, but it, there's just, I think so many of the things were wrong with Celtic had a link into David Turnbull and, and Tony Ralston. I, I wonder what it says about uh, Abelgard if uh, the next game we played David Turnbull again. I mean, if Angel looks at that performance and thinks I'm going to go again as opposed to playing this uh, Danish international, then I think that... I, 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 I think he's sticking to Matt Rale in the six. So if he's sticking to Matt Rale in the six, you, you're an eight short. And I think that's maybe maybe that's somebody who's coming in in, in January. But I, I think Celtic has been a no braid short the whole time. Especially if you're going to use one of your two best number eights in the number six, so yeah, it's it's definitely the weak point at the moment. I think. I think I said in the the group chat a while back is, uh, would you rather uh, Rogic and Beton or Moy and Turnbull? It's Which... not even it's not even a discussion for me. It's it's Rodrigo and Beton. It's even mad. This it's mad that that's happened. That we basically downclass our midfield. So I, I think you, me, and Kieran needs to we need to have a transfer committee pod. Mm-hmm. And in the break, we need to get Kieran drunk, and he'll tell us every single secret oh, uh, about and see what's actually going on. It's it's starting, it's, it, it's starting to give a few hints on the agenda, Kieran, but it's give him a few bears and he'll, he'll spill everything. So, it's better that way than uh, when I got drunk on a call with Jack and got all the goss and then forgot it because I was drunk. Yeah. Maybe so. he told you the meaning of life and you forgot. So. He told me the meaning of Marvin Compare. That's what he told me the meaning of. <laughs> but that's a story. That's a story. <laughs> so, I just want to touch on VAR before we move on. I'm not interested in we like going over these, re-examining these handballs and stuff because it's just a pain in the ass. What I do want to talk about is just how VAR is set up, designed for the TV watching audience, and it really puts a disadvantage at the guys in the stadium. Alan talked on it. And the agenda, and I think it's just disgraceful. They're standing waiting for minutes to see this decision. We've got big screens in the stadium, but they they don't want to show the incidents. And again, it just feels to me like um, the Liverpool Real Madrid uh, Champions League final, where you had uh, that Cuban singer, I can't remember her name, performing before the game, and uh, she apparently was a bit upset about being drowned out by by fan chants. And again, th- that is not something for people in the stadium. That's for people watching at home. And I just want—I I want to fight back against this, this making football for something for people to watch from the armchair, as opposed to benefiting the people that are in the stadium. Because the people in the stadium should be getting the best possible experience. And I feel as if VAR, the way it's been implemented in in Scotland, is really taking advantage of people's patience and is affecting their enjoyment of a match. Especially now when the way things are going, you can't really tell when you're going to get away from the stadium because games are running for about 10, 15 minutes longer because of these ridiculous gaps. I don't know what you think about the whole, uh, the way it's been implemented, uh, Christian. Um, I mean, if uh, anything, it's probably a scenario where you thought VAR could be even worse than this because I had so low expectations to how it was going to be implemented in, in Scotland. It's always had initial issues in every league it's been to. So you, you expect some of that with Scotland as well, but I guess it's just once it once it's in your league, you see it for what it is. Shit, mm-hmm. you know. But it's, it's but the, I mean that's just as you say, like you would not have VAR unless you'd had many, many, many years of TV punditry being focused on the referee specifically, and 
it is now not just the experience for the fans is you know the it's more about you know the the, the, the fan experience is more for the fans at home than the fans at the ground. Mm-hmm. But I think the game itself is refereed more for people at home than the players, because the the, the illogical thing about VAR has always been for me is that every single football law has most of it has a huge element in in the opinion of the referee that is a foul. There's not. Okay, you have to think you know, the ball going out to touch and offside to a certain degree is black or white or it's offside, so not really either. But everything else is in the opinion of the referee. And you know, it's, it's it's not like if it's not like it says if there is contact between the foot of an opponent and an other foot, then there it's you know, the rules are not that clear. So there's always and football law is always a large degree of interpretation from the referee. So if you then take what a referee sees, his opinion, what he sees in, in live in, on the pitch in full speed, and if you move that to a footage, which a footage is not a, a representation of a real thing. It, it, it is an image of it. It's from different angles. It's a different speed. So you're refereeing the game based on what you see on a TV screen sped down in the opinion of the referee. It's, it's just completely logical to me because you know what it's like every single VAR decision be it handball or be it uh, you know, a penalty or a tackle or something there's always a degree of interpretation. It's never black and white. Mm. There's, there's never is. And that kind of black and white turns so grey when there's, there's slow moves and there's different angles and stuff like that. So I'd, I honestly don't think the hit rate in getting a, a penalty right with VAR is any bigger than what would be just in live because it's in the opinion of the referee. And it's not worth the payoff. Uh, 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 no, what you lose is the instant. And never a goal goes in now. You can be very, fairly confident it's been that, but it's always going to hold you back a little bit. And we'll probably get used to it. It'll ground you down, and that just becomes the thing of watching football in the ground and stuff. But it's just shit, isn't it? So it's, it's and it, but it's it, the thing is, it's, it's for all the people whose TV companies and people have been so obsessed by refereeing decisions over so many years that okay, well we're just going to bring in Varden. It's like okay, great, doesn't solve a thing. It just leads to more. So it's completely even say if VAR worked perfectly, a hundred percent of all decisions were right undisputably. I still wouldn't like it because I think it takes away that element of yeah being in, in the stadium, but also that instant reactions to the thing. But the fact that it doesn't actually get makes the decisions any better at all, it's just stupid. But what it is, Graham, it is in one sense, especially if we don't have anything riding on the game, entertaining mm-hmm. if you're watching the TV because oh, it goes too far. We had one thing, well, there's, there's another thing, it's, it's a very video game kind of thing, isn't it? And based on TV, so. Everything about it is is terrible, and that's not an anti technology thing. I think goal line technology is it's great because, but it happens within a second. Uh, you go, everybody looks at the referee, goal. No. Everybody has celebrates because there's no discussions. Had you been able to do that with say offside and other decisions, fine, do it within a couple of seconds, but not this. It's, it's uh, absolutely s- stupid. 
See, that's the thing. It's it's for everyone that's not the punter on the ground and the player. You know, it's 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 yeah. a money maker as well because it gets people talking in Clyde, it gets people writing newspaper stories and the TV audience likes it. So it's just it's it's for everyone else apart from the fans. And, and the, the referees. Um, you know, there's there's literally more jobs from the referees. The referees has a very good excuse now. And not an excuse, but they're not really responsible for the decisions anymore no. uh, as well and it's just even just little things like I, I can't remember the last time a referee went to the screen and didn't give the, you know the incident the penalty or something if they looked at it if to get called to the screen this means somebody the VAR has seen something on the screen they think you know that decision was wrong or that should have been it and it's never overruled and you kind of go I mean grow a backbone here Aye. Like have a look and see. Well, well, I don't agree with that. Do that, and it, unless you get to that stage, you essentially end up. The real referee is now the one who sits watching the TV screen, because in the, the main decisions, if the video referee says mm, no, nah, that's it. That that's essentially overruling the referee now. So it's, it's just when you think about the Celtic fan experience, it's like obviously they've done a bit through the, through the years with the Celtic way and they've got the new bar and everything, but the, the food's awful. You can't get a drink at the stadium. The Wi-Fi sucks. And now the one thing that you could rely upon, the product on the park has just been interrupted. And I've never, I mean, it was part of the, the first half was down to uh, injuries as well, but I've never seen such a stop start game of football in my life. It was unbelievable. Well, the bar the potential get bedrooms gone probably although the technology around it isn't as good as the other one in terms of how many cameras and stuff like that but even so it's, it's still the same issues mm-hmm. like you, even now in England and, and anywhere else it's had for a different season it's still it's still shit isn't it yeah so uh, the thing I, don't, I hate talking about it but it's just um, I was I don't know I was getting I, quite I, passionate I think it's worth it. point, pointing out how stupid it is yeah I, 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 I can't really see a point where it'll go away now Hopefully the technology gets to, to a point where you can make decision within 10 seconds and you know that. I, I think, honestly, I think that if you have to have to have it, there needs to be a time limit on it. Like, right. honestly, it's like, unless you can, you know, make a decision within five, 10 seconds, it's like, let the referee's decision stand there. See those handballs, you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth in two minutes. It's like, see, if, if you couldn't really tell after 10 seconds, then... You know, let the decision stand. Aye. So, and you got things like you know, automated AI intelligence for the offside in terms of you know trackers and stuff like that. And it's like okay, okay, uh, that's fine then. If, if there's if if you can send a signal to the assistant referee saying that person's offside, that person is offside, that person is offside, that that'll be really annoying. But mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And then they can make a judgment. Of, okay, are they interfering with play? And they can make that decision in their head. But say three to five seconds. If they put the flag up, that's it. If yeah. they don't put the flag up, that's it. I'm okay with that. But don't take away making decisions in real time if it's not a black and white area. So yeah, yep, yeah, I agree. I agree. So let's move on. I want to talk about Aaron Moy. Uh, what are you doing to me? <laughs> we're, we're not going to go too hard in, on him, I don't believe. Uh, but he has been tipped to be one of Australia's main stars when the World Cup kicks off later this month. Former international Robbie Slater has said, uh, regular football Celtic under Ange Postecoglou, albeit not always as a starter, has Moy hopefully ready to weave some magic in Qatar. 
He showed his class and grit during the World Cup playoffs in June on the back of very little football. And Harry Kuehl has uh, claimed that getting dropped at half-time at St Martin has been the making of Moy. Uh, he had a moment where he didn't play well and then the manager took him off, but the manager knows him that well that he knows what type of reaction he gets. There's a lot of factors in the game. If if you get taken off, you feel it was because of you. It was part of that structure that the manager wants, wants to play, but obviously Moy felt hard done by, so went out there and wanted to work even harder. That just shows you the professionalism that he's got. Aaron has gone from there and he's just getting stronger and fitter. He's looking fantastic. He's looking powerful. He's looking strong. He's looking comfortable in the ball. And I know he will take this into the Australian squad. Is that the, is that the Aaron Moy you've been watching, Christian? Is he comfortable on the ball? Is he strong? Does he look good? Yeah. Can he move fast? No. Does he have great movement? No. Does he choose to wrong decision around the penalty box a lot? Yeah. Um, so uh, would I have him in instead of David Turnbull? Uh, maybe. But no, it's I'm, I haven't been convinced by Aaron Moy at all. And that's not to say, again, a technically gifted player, right? Who I think against um, Livingston, he, he, he was quite effective. He actually moved into the right areas that David Turnbull didn't move into. And he, he linked up quite well at times. But there's also always so many instances in a game that I go like, oh, come on. In just terms of his mobility, as I said, some of his decisions on the ball, some of his actions just touches and, and the way he can be run past so easily. He, he's kind of got that chained off. I think when he gets close to an opponent, he can kind of muscle him off initially, see. But see, an opponent that runs at Aaron Moy, I mean, you could just take a couple of steps to the side and you pass him. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it is, he is, is, I think it's a stopgap. He, he might be okay in the World Cup, actually, because it's a completely different, you know, tournament, international football, kind of, especially in such small, limited amount of games, drive some small samples, it's, it drives some moments, and, and Aaron Moy put in certain positions. Uh, it can can do that magic. So it's, it's not, again, it's more, him and David Turnbull have very gifted technical players. I don't think any of them fits into the system at all. And I think they're both, David Turnbull was a stopgap last season, David Aaron Moyes was a stopgap this season, but you'll never, uh, I really don't think there's a place in Ange Postecoglou's proper squad with the four out of them for me. So that takes us on to Ange and his comments about the transfer window. It's been touched on in another pause, but I just want to get your take on certain aspects, Christian. So we're talking, well, Ange's talking about without putting pressure on individuals or us forcing people out, there's a natural evolution of these things where the timing is right. I think that's a bit of an odd way to say it because it does look as if we are going to be forcing people out. Um, if the timing is right, we won't be in fear of letting someone go because we've already planned for that. So... Obviously, there's the the, the rumour of the uh, Japanese centre-back that we spoke about last week. When it comes to forcing people out, do you, is there anyone in this squad that you think we would be actively trying to tell to get another club? Uh, who do you think that would be? And is there anyone in the club that you would be in fear of letting go because you don't think that Celtic would have an adequate replacement lined up? The, the way he... The way his comments were structured for me, it didn't seem like he wasn't really talking about any of the like the guys who were out on loan, for example, or not even anybody like James McCarthy who's hardly getting a look in. It, it didn't seem to me that that was what it was about. It was almost more like 
you know, we're going to sell some first team players if the right offer comes in, if they want to go. I think that's absolutely right. You know, the, the, to this club has, over the last how many years, do not know when to sell. Right. And it's. Could be Russia, could be Rangers. Yeah. Well, it's, it's always that. Right. Um, Oh, we should talk about Geo next week, I think. Um, anyway, uh, so, so but uh, Ange is saying all the right things there, saying, you know, if if we might need to move some heroes on, but we're ready for it. And I think he means players like Urano, which I, I think is more about the players who's, who's in the first team contention. contention. Um, I mean, it said fans' favorite. You go, so talking about because I, I can't see Tony Ralston leaving if it never comes in for David Turnbull, maybe, but I, I think it's more players like Juranovic. Jota, maybe Abada, uh, maybe Gigi, uh, in terms of if the offer comes in and it's right for Celtic, we're going to sell. Even though you might, as a fan, might not be happy with it because it's like, oh, why are you selling that? That's one of your best players. Because we have a process in place that, that you know, we got three alternatives. You're going to go get one of them. You might actually get that player in before we sell uh, the next player. So that's what you want to hear. And that's what you, you hope the club is working towards. I guess my worry is just now the summer transfer window, but where we thought this was in place and we thought Celtic had lined up the right candidates, exactly the type of players Ange wants, uh, you know, Champions League money to go, go out and buy them. And then they don't. They bring in Moritz Jens is, is your centre back, who, you know, it's always not your first choice. Uh, you bring in, you know, another big signing in uh, Abelgar that. You know, it doesn't really fit that you're using your number eight and at number six instead because of that. Um, you bring in Aaron Moy, right? It's, no matter what you think how good it is, that's a 31 year old who hasn't played in a year. That that's not a sign of a good transfer process. Um, okay, Jota and CCV is, is you know you bring them in, you make that permanent. Um, and Bernabeu is I think is you know it's been very up and down, but I think that's you know that's uh, I think it's a good signing. In terms of the the profile, you have somebody who's can grow behind Greg Taylor and learn the system. That's a good signing. The, the weird thing for me is, I thought this is going to be a year where Matt O'Reilly steps up and takes over from Tom Rodrick, and then next season Matt O'Reilly is on dispute number one. So it's as you said, and then Nibeton, who's just so the, the process in the summer, the way Ange puts it out there, wasn't there yet. And maybe with Mark Lowell's got six months under the table, maybe Yanchez had a couple of words internally in terms of what we need. Great. You need to see then the results of that this winter and the summer again, because the summer transfer window, looking back now, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I was pretty pleased with it as well at the end of it. But looking back now and then the actual what's happened and what's come out from that, it wasn't great, was it? I think that's putting it lightly. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I think, do you think there's a, a circumstance where people, where there's players in the squad that are fans' favourites, but are not necessarily Ange-type players, that he will be tempted to say, look, I, I need to move you on. I'm you just to- want me to say now who the players I want Ange to move on that I think are fan favourites, but I don't like. That's what you want, isn't it? No, That's I'm, what you want. Do you want that, Graham? Because I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the players I would sell. No, because I want I to. I want. I want to think of it from Angie's point of view. Because obviously, for us, it would be players like Abada. It would be players like Gigi. But when you say I, us, you mean literally us too. 
That's true, yeah. yeah. But there's obviously, Ange obviously has a lot of uh, trust in someone like Gigi. So do you think, do you think Ange likes Gigi as a second option or a different option? Or do you think he would be tempted to say to Gigi, look, you've had a great, great time here so far. You've scored a lot of goals. We are looking to move you on for some decent money. And we want to sign a player that's similar to Kyogo. Or do you think he likes having that kind of two different types of players? I, I honestly don't know. You know, it's it, it, maybe it's the same discussion with the centre-backs where we thought he wanted a certain type of centre-back, but he hasn't signed it yet. And maybe he maybe he enjoys having that physicality that, that Gigi brings. But to me, I can understand having Gigi as a third choice because that's... That's your option off the bench. That's your kind of plan B. That's a different one. To me, you would have Kyogo, somebody a lot more like Kyogo, and then Gigi. That makes sense for me, right? That, that does make sense. Having Gigi, such a different type of striker as your second choice striker and rotating that much. It's just, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't really understand. No, from what we thought we knew from Ange, I don't really understand that. But maybe the proof is in the pudding. Maybe that pudding, pudding. Um, maybe Ange do like that, or is there something in these comments saying, "Look, I've I've been doing this for eighteen months now. Uh, you know, I got this this far. These players have given me really good uh, output. You know, they've done a lot of stuff for me. But actually, now, now I'm going to be laser focused, and we're going to get exactly the type of players we want, and that." If that means moving some of the favorites on, so be it. But at this point, I'm, I'm. What's the word? I'm not. Don't really trust that that's going to happen in January in the summer. Before I see it, I've been burnt once already. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So. There's a kind of mixture of fans' favorites that are us, like us as fans that we, we we think suit the system and we would not want to see leave and then there's fans favourites that are genuine fans favourites from other people that we would say okay it'd be nice to upgrade with players that are more suitable for the system so I think that's where the, where yeah, the I mean, maybe for me I'll, I'll put my neck out I think the players we keep talking about on this player that we feel has really good qualities but don't fit the system Gigi Liela Bada. David Turnbull, Tony Ralston. I I think the centre backs, uh, having all three of them, four of them, so similar as well. I, I think that's for me the type of players uh, that are good. And it's, it's not like we don't say it. It's not like they haven't contributed. It's not like they haven't had a huge value to Celtic. But their their strengths is for me not as compatible with the system as other players you know as you know so, so those specifically ask me that's the one I would say I don't think Ange looks at it the same way and other no. fans fans would maybe see it completely different some people might think this is about Kyogo and maybe you know you know other players like that uh, but and Juranovic and but I don't know all got different opinions I don't think it's just from Twitter and, and the huddle board and stuff. I don't think our I don't think we have a majority opinion. I think the the majority of Celtic fans would be listening to this podcast and saying they're nuts. Why would we sell those players? Another player that's a fan. There's a reason favorite. why this one doesn't go out for free. 
great. Yeah, yeah, we have to keep I it mean, behind the paywall. We'll get our tags. <laughs> uh, but I so another fan's favourite that could be mentioned is Joe Hart. Uh, we have it's, a yeah. We have a situation at the moment where all our free goalkeepers are over 30, which, I mean, for goalkeepers, it isn't that much of a problem. But the problem I see is that I can't see us bringing in another first, another goalkeeper t- to challenge where we have essentially three quote-unquote first-team goalkeepers. I know Scott Bain, for the Baniacs out there, would be a first choice. But we we have basically got first three peak age or roundabout, just maybe Hart being a bit over, older, uh, first team goalkeepers, and I can't see us taking another one on unless we move one on. Yeah, I'm going to go hard slip my mind there because he's exactly in that category for me as well in terms of um, having certain qualities, having an obvious value to the team. I made a massive effort to sell to winning the league, but I still rather move you on if I had the choice to be, be cold hearted by it. I, I think Joe Hart is exactly like that. But then again, the signing of Benjamin Seacrest then makes absolutely no sense to me. Uh, from so maybe I just see it like that because that's again Dundee United keeper on free transfer that is exactly the same as Joe Hart, just not as good. And I go, I, I don't know what that's about, you know. And, and I think especially when you've got Scott Bain, it's not as if we had just two youth goalkeepers behind. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's Benjamin and Seacrest better than Scott Bain, yeah, probably, but. If if you're gonna go in and bring in another goalkeeper, like hey, there's Great. plenty of <laughs> or, or something different, you know. I mean, it's it's, it's not just uh, so. Yeah, it's, I think a lot of that, but but a lot of that comes from a very hectic first summer, right? And it's a lot of those players I've mentioned there: Gigi, Joe Hart, Abada, um, comes in that first summer, and I've always kind of had. Oh no, Ange is gonna like once he's get because when it came to January, he bought Ange players. And you go like, wow, look at this, you know, Maeda, uh, Hatate, you know, Idiguchi, Malrail. There, and you go summer. Summer's just gonna be the same. And then the summer, this summer, I thought was looking back was a bit more like the last window. And it's, it's this player like Kaksabana, which I think is uh, interesting, really interesting player for the system. I think he can play a couple of places. I think he fits well. Oh. Bernabai uh, as well, but other than that, that kind of knocked my confidence in that transfer process, and maybe that would be resurrected with the January transfer window and, and being a bit cold-hearted than who you let go. Maybe yeah. in the summer, this just that's where you want to be, and then you all along you go, well, there was a plan here, you know, it's this is there was always working towards that, and you we understand now why Ange did A and B. I guess, but we don't know that. We, we thought we knew that. It seemed to me but, that the, that that. January transfer window was Ange bringing in the players that he knew, like mm-hmm. literally knew them, and Matt O'Reilly, who was a standout in the lower leagues, lower leagues in England from a start point of view, and I think he was probably well even known. even then. I don't think you got would have got Matt O'Reilly if Celtic had got that guy. I can't remember now the Australian guy. Oh, O'Reilly <laughs> McCree or O'Cree or something like that. Well, and you, and yeah. you look at it. Because he was just about to sign, and it was something Ange knew from Australian and so on, and, and then you go, "Oh, that doesn't happen." And then you go, "Matt O'Reilly and thing." And at the time, you go, "Oh, well, that was good." But now you go, "Oh, was that okay. just a Nick Hammond shortlist guy, uh, Matt O'Reilly?" I mean, that's. <sighs> and then so, yeah. what? So what I think happened was that that was personal. Uh, Ange personally knew, and then it was a case of 
he had to then rely on the scouting system for the second window because he had ran out of players that he wanted to bring in from personal knowledge. And the, the scouting system just was nowhere near up to scratch. So that's what I'm hoping with Mark Lawwell getting the, the, the months in, in place yeah. that we might have something good going. It's Was it up to scratch or was the two, three first choices that didn't come? Like Itagura, uh, for example. So, so, but then again, <laughs> the players we think Ange wanted Itagura, Sosa, one is Japanese. City group. And the other, both are City group. Yeah. <laughs> so again, uh, but to be fair to Mark Lowell, I, I don't know how much he had to work with in the summer if you how much he was involved, but uh, it comes in January now. He's been there for a few months. So January, summer, like, unless you see, you know, the results of that process, that process is working and moving players on. You know, that'll be the verdict at that point, I guess, because you need to see the actual... And that's not really simply, okay, we buy a player, is he a success or not? For me, for you, because we're, we're like this, it's about the process leading up to that. If if you kind of do your due diligence, you do your scouting, you do your research, and you look at the options, you move quickly, you, you pay a decent, what a player is worth, see if it doesn't work out. Sometimes it doesn't work out even with those, but... If you have a good process, you increase your probability of it working out. And that's what you want to see then. That's what you want to see with the football in terms yeah. of if you have a good process system-wise, you create chances. You don't concede that many. Sometimes you don't score them and sometimes you, you let in some free goals and you get some bad results in the Champions League. But at least your process is working towards something. And I think it's the same with recruitment. You're not going to get every, even with the best transfer polls in the world, not every transfer is going to work out. But if you do the process, you increase your probability of it working out. We wanted to talk about the Champions League draw and the other European draws, but we're running out of time. So I just want to say that Bayern finishing top and getting PSG and Inter finishing second getting Porto is a fucking disgrace. To be honest. I mean, the, the, the fitting Munich, PSG, Qatar derby, isn't it? So, wow. Okay, let's, let's move on. I just want to end with something that was touched upon in the agenda, but I want, I want to know your reaction, Christian. So we've got a guy out in loan pulling up trees in the area division. Mm-hmm. Apparently got his confidence back, got his mojo back. Yeah, we're looking for a goalkeeper that can play with the ball at his feet. What yeah. I'm saying is, Bissell Ben, we put your heart as the kind of um, second choice, kind of oldest elder statesman of the, the team, and Barke as a new Celtic number one, rejuvenated mm-hmm. Barke. If you thought Joe Hart was a heartwarming redemption story, imagine Vasily Barkas coming back and saving everything. Or just saving something. A and musical be... in ten years' time called Yes Barker. I'd, I'd pay to see that. I go to see a lot of musicals, but I'd, I'd definitely go pay to see that. Is there any way back? On, on like, genuine question: If someone's getting their mojo back in Dutch league, appears to be one the best, one of the best players in that uh, that team, well regarded by the coaches, is there any way back? No, I don't think so. I, I think from from, no him, from from his point of view as well, I think he's he's probably in a good play, a better place. And I think it's like he, the experience both parties had when he was there is probably not one they want to chance on. But it's good for Celtic. Like get this man and move on there for him. Then they'll use that great transfer process to to bring in a replacement for George. So tell you what, Michael Johnson's in that another matter. He's going to come back next year and pull some trees up. So. It's going to be Mikey Johnson as Rocky. I'm, I'm yes. telling you now. That's the, that's the next video. Who's Adrian in this scenario? This Adrian time. would be Adam Montgomery. Nice. <laughs> Rangers beat <Adam>. up. <laughs> Monty. 
that's my rookie voice. I think this is uh, after you're doing uh, Rocky as Chewbacca. I think this is a good place to end it. Um, so, uh, Christian, it's been another another pleasure. We've got one more review of Celtic content, which we will be looking at Motherwell and then Ross County, uh, I believe. Ross County at the weekend, yeah. Apparently so. Yeah, um, yeah no, so uh, after uh, Celtic had a delightful uh, last minute win, obviously we've spent the whole time complaining about David Turnbull, but to be honest, if you tuned into this podcast and you weren't expecting that, you know, it's probably your first review podcast and probably your last as well. So you know, it's, just, that's it's, just the way we are. It's just the way of it as well. Like if it was just me and you sitting down for a drink, we would basically be reviewing St. Johnson 2 Rangers 1 and having a baby. So and just going do 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 We're actually real fipadas. That's what we actually are, but we just pretend we're not. Do you have another one of those sweaters that I could could matching? I actually, I kind of have one, yeah. So, next time you come over yeah. so that's been your review for the 8th of November one more week of Celtic review to go and then we're going to be doing we're going to, we're going to be having a little bit of fun we're going to be doing some, if you remember the cynical back in the day, broaden it out into different subjects, maybe having some guests on, some interviews talking about the, the, the horrendous World Cup in Qatar and uh, all the things that go along with it. So we'll need to get thinking about some topics. I think we've already got a few in, in the barrel, so that'll be that'll be fun when it comes along. Christian, it's been a pleasure. Well, it's just been online, as usual. Uh, yeah, that'll be just us from now on, I think. Yes, the two of us. Producer, slash, yeah. <laughs> Here, Mackay, we'll catch you down the road. 